Joining us today on the Dialogos Radio and the Dialogos interview series is Greek-American journalist and blogger Irene Arcos. Irene is the founder of the well-known blog Greek-American Girl, a longtime teacher in a New York City public school system, and an adjunct professor at NASA Community College in New York. Irene, welcome to our program today. Thank you, Michael, and uh, the fine folks at Dialogos Media. It's a pleasure to be here. It's really an honor. And to get us started, share with us a few words about your very successful blog, Greek American Girl. How did the idea for this blog first come about, and what kind of content is featured on the blog? Well, first, it started with a deep need to express the issues and the triumphs and, and just the life of someone like me, someone who is a, a diaspora Greek woman trying to hold on to the roots of being Greek, but at the same time, trying to assimilate to a bigger, larger, dominant culture. And I was kind of frustrated with the sort of the traditional media for the Greek community as it, it's represented a more older school, sort of like a different, like I said, different era of journalism. And I didn't find that my voice and the voice of, of women like myself was being broadcast, was being heard, or even given the freedom to express itself. And, you know, we have so many immigrant populations. It's a melting pot in New York City. And I was looking at the other ones, especially as a female, and of course, they have their own version of a female publication or a female journal. So there's Latina, there's there's something for the Asian women, But we, as Greek women, did not have anything like that. And so I've been a writer and, you know, an English teacher for a long time. And I said, you know, let's just do it. Let me create a website that tries to get the Greek Hellenic woman's voice. Not just American, but global, right? So I was born in South Africa. I lived in Greece. I lived, you know, I traveled and I did journalism in the Middle East and then I grew up in New York. So we're always, as Greeks of the diaspora, we're very global. We're not just in America. We're we're everywhere. Like they say, so I tried to bring that perspective in there. And I didn't only want to make it fashion and style and fluff and this and that. I wanted it to kind of strike a balance between the serious and also the funnies. And I also wanted to get a, a very broad spectrum of readers. So not just the young, not just the old. So I wanted to put a little bit of everything. So as women of various stages of life, they would find something to read and take home with. And I also wanted to create a forum and a collective place where women could talk to each other. Because I think it's different when the conversation is public. It has to be a public dialogue because only in a public dialogue can you reflect change in your society and in the larger world. You know, as women, you know, we tend to talk a lot, but we, we go to the cafe and we vent with our friends and we, we have a lot of things to say, but we keep it always around the kitchen table. But I think in order to have a powerful voice, it has to be collective and it has to be public. So that's one of or two or three reasons why I tried to start this idea of a website. And to be honest, I'm actually not the first. There's a a good colleague that we have, Dr. Petrona in Thessaloniki, who did a whole historical 
research project where she traced women's publications in the immigrant communities in the early part of the U.S. And there actually was a journal called Elmiza. It was in Greek and it was distributed as sort of like the female voice for the, the Greek immigrants. So I feel like it's new in that the internet and the social media has, has made it a new vehicle. But it's actually been a long tradition. I'm actually following a tradition that I didn't know of, of Greek women's writing and the Greek women's perspective in the larger society. Let's discuss in some more detail some of the various pressures that Greek families and Greek women of the diaspora often face as they essentially exist between two worlds and two cultures. One of the many pressures that are faced by young women and also young men of the diaspora is to marry Greek, to stay within the Greek culture. How do these pressures manifest themselves in your view, and what are your thoughts on this issue more broadly? Oh boy, I think being a hybrid anything, a hybrid identity whether Greek-Australian, Greek-Tasmanian, I know, Greek-Brit, it comes with a certain sense of conflict because you're residing in both cultures. You have two identities, and sometimes they're bound to clash. So even little things like our U.S. culture encourages us to be independent, to think, do your own thing, be bold, don't listen to anyone. But our Greek culture focuses a lot on the family, on the collective benefit of the group. So it's not so egocentric, it's more collective. And that's, that's going to bring a lot of conflict when it comes time to making choices. For example, moving out. Moving out was unheard of in my house. You know, when I would ask my parents, when can I move out? They, they were like, that's outrageous. And I called, what did you do? Said, you have the That's something that only the bad girls did because there would be an ulterior motive for their going away. They saw independence as a way of rejecting the family warmth and the family love. And they took it as, as, as an affront to, to honor, basically. So even the choice of moving out becomes hard or even the choice of a career. I'm also thinking, how much are we made to, to choose the professions we choose as women? And how much is it of our own choice? I mean, I think women are socialized differently in the family, especially from the Mediterranean. So that has an impact on the career choice. Now, you mentioned marriage. That's a really big conflict, both for males and females in the Greek community, in the diaspora communities. But I think more especially for for women, because women are the ones who keep the culture. You're the reliquary. You're the one, the, the depositor of the culture. So you are the one responsible to pass on the culture and the religion and the traditions to the next generation. So there's a great pressure to keep the Greek traditions to marriage. And, and because there is such a fear that we, we can lose those traditions, we can lose our sense of identity if we don't keep it Greek, if we don't marry within our ethnicity, it becomes like of a paramount importance. It becomes an obsession. God forbid. I mean, there's nothing worse you can do as a woman to marry a non-Greek because God forbid you're going to lose your identity. And at the same time, it is a real fear. The realization that one could lose your identity because let's be honest, you know, there's a joke that says, what would you want to be if you weren't Greek? The answer is dead. We are very proud to keep our Greek identity. We don't want to lose it. 
And in order for us to keep it, then the pressure to keep the Greek through marriage becomes very great. And so the conflict is even more heightened for us. But at the same time, we're now living in Greece and we're living in this great, big, diverse community. And so as luck would have it, the chances are you fall in love with another Greek are slim if you're not constantly surrounded by Greeks all the time. And to lose one's identity is an anathema. I mean, I felt it when, I think it was Bacha one year, my parents visited my aunt up in Vermont. And there's not a lot of that many Orthodox churches up there in Vermont. So we, I remember driving for miles and miles and miles in order to make it to this small Orthodox church somewhere in Rutland for the Pascha service. And when we got there, I went in and this is as a, as a young girl, and I, I felt so strange because there were supposedly Greeks wearing jeans, baseball caps, and it wasn't even a church. It was a rented space in a storefront. And I froze right there because I said, my gosh, if I stay here long enough, I'm going to become an American, <laughs> and I'm going to become one of these people. And like, no, gosh, that's the worst thing for a Greek to become a non-Greek. And so the pressure for the young people to marry is so, so high because of that loss of identity that comes through not marrying. Yet on the other hand, and I, I posted an article by a young woman yesterday on my site who's having the same issues with her mother because she's dating an Ecuadorian. And she says in her article that it comes from fear. Like our parents keep us kind of with this weakness on us all the time because they're afraid to let us go. But, but she says, but that's the other side of it, that you have to be open to the cultures and you have to embrace yourself within a larger global community. And sometimes you can pick to have the best of both worlds and live in them. So it's a very delicate balance. You want to keep it Greek because you want to stay true to your roots and you know that your roots are so rich and many times richer than the roots of your new home. But at the same time, you don't want to become this very exclusive, you cut everybody off group that doesn't want to play with anyone you know, and I think we have that in the Greek community. Sometimes we're so focused on being Greek that we become autistic in a way. Like we're, we're so self-centered that we become provincial sometimes and we make our own little parties and pat each other on the back like we're these great people because we're in this in-group. And sometimes you need to break that to become larger, to, to open up your perspective. So at the same we are proud to be Greek, we have to go beyond just being Greek. And otherwise, we will be self-defeating and almost incestuous. So I think that that's where being bicultural or tricultural, it comes as a big, very big asset. Because you, you get that global perspective. And then you can choose. Now, continuing along this topic, within households of the Greek diaspora, there is often, as you mentioned, a struggle to keep the Greek culture and the Greek language alive, both as new immigrants have assimilated to their new countries, but also for the children of these families as well. And many times, it's actually the children themselves that are resistant to go to Greek school or to go to church, or who have mixed feelings about existing between the two cultures. What are your thoughts on this issue, and how could these tensions be resolved, in your view? 
speaking from my own process of assimilation, I think young people go through a process. When you're young and you need to fit in, you need to reject everything that your parents are telling you you should do to melt into your bigger surroundings. So I remember growing up after elementary school in my middle school and high school years, I did not want to be associated with anything Greek because that was so uncool. You know, my parents would stop on the LIE with plastic bags and knives and pick up the horta and, and you know, they would do ridiculous things like bake their own bread instead of make, uh, you know, the sandwiches from the white toast. You know, this is all the stuff that that movie is all about. I won't mention its name. Everybody knows it. But I think as you grow older, you realize you come to terms with both sides. When you're young and you're immature and you're still trying to find yourself, you reject that part that you're given in order to find your true identity. And once you get comfortable in your own skin, once you don't feel such an outsider because you're an immigrant, then you, you come full circle again and then you embrace your roots and your parents' roots. And then you become, I think, a very staunch supporter of your original family. I find that it, it takes a while, but it happens. Now, and I've, I've always had that question, you know, sometimes some young people in immigrant families or first generation, second generation, third generation, eventually they assimilate to the point where Greek is only in their history. But I don't know if there's been enough study, sociologically, psychologically. I don't think there's been enough research to trace that pattern. I think eventually, of course, we will all become American. But how long does that take? And why for some faster and why for some not? That's something that would need some kind of professor in some sociological school to do some sort of research to answer. But I think personally, you do come full circle and you become happy being on that little seesaw of two. So you kind of go one way for one and then the other way for the other. And you do find a happy balance. And yeah, I think it is possible to take the best of both worlds. We are on the air with journalist and educator Irene Arcos here on the Alagos Radio and in the Alagos interview series. And Irene, we often also see within families and households of the Greek diaspora tensions in terms of the difference in the way girls are socialized compared to the way that boys are socialized. How do these pressures manifest themselves and how could these pressures be reconciled? Well, I think there's gender role conflicts that happen, especially within the newer generation of families. There's a clash between the traditional culture and then, you know, the values of the cradle culture and then the values of the adopted culture. I think that Greek women as a whole, even here or in the old country, I don't think we're appreciated as much or respected as much or publicly acclaimed for what we do and for our strengths and for our accomplishments as much as our brothers. Fathers, Greek society has tended to be patriarchal, and so I find that that creates a lot of tension in a woman and a young girl, because in order to be successful in the new world, 
they have to let go a lot of that baggage. I've spoken to many women who are dynamic and successful and professional, and they said that they have had to struggle to get rid of their cultural baggage as women in order to feel successful. Because I think inherently, consciously, unconsciously, our culture does not give the same credence, the same value to its daughters than to its sons. And I think, you know, some the people who are doing it the most, I think, are even the mothers, the women. And they're, I don't think they're conscious of it. How different, what different messages they're giving their sons and their daughters. And it's the idea of living in this culture, the dominant culture, the American culture, that really espouses gender role equality. In America, we grow up with the, with the idea that when men and, and women, boys and girls, can be equal. And having that in the same body and soul of someone who was brought up to think, well, women are a certain way. They have to be nurturers. They have to tend to their families. They have to put themselves last or other people have to come before them. That creates a very deep dissonance psychologically in the women who grew up outside the, their home country. And I don't think that my sight would have happened. I don't think we would be having this, even this whole conversation, had I not been a product of two cultures. Because from talking to my Greek women and my Greek uh, counterparts, the issue of gender and gender inequality in Greece is not an issue because it's not really pointed out, it's not talked about or brought to the surface. But because in the U.S. it is, it is a major issue socially, it's on the, the landscape, then we can talk about it, that we're even speaking about it. And I think because you come from an outsider perspective, that you're able to see that, hey, Greek daughters are not given the same respect as their brothers. And only because I'm coming from a different perspective can I call it out. Whereas those who are living in the, the, the culture think it's, eh, they don't have a problem with it, just the way it is. Women flirt, get their way by treating men a certain way and looking very seductive. That's okay. That's how it works here. So um, it's complicated, but there's definitely, I think, a lot more conflict and consciousness of the disparities between the sexes growing up in a non-native Greek uh, family than not. Now, some issues that your blog often addresses have to do with matters that are often considered taboo within Greek families in the diaspora, including issues such as domestic violence, mental illness, and also drug abuse. How can families overcome these taboos and the silence that often accompanies these issues? Well, I think we have to be honest with ourselves. And I think a lot of it, the taboo of not speaking has to do with few things. But one big one is the Greek ego. We're so proud to be what we are that we are not willing to look at what we're missing in, at what we're lacking, at what are our faults. We have to put our Greek ego down a bit so that we can see that, no, honey, there are Greek drug abusers. There's an incredible weight of domestic violence in the Greek community that is not talked about. We have all the social ills that other societies have, but because of our ego, we don't talk about it. 
And that's the shame because we'll never be able to deal with the issue until we come face to face with it. So I think it has to do with ego. I think it has to do with being honest with ourselves as a community and, and being able to help each other because, you know, that's what we have to do. And we have to stop putting this, oh, it's me, it's my ego over the collective good. I think the Greeks do that often. They think of what's good for themselves and what makes themselves look good, but then they don't think of the kino. They don't think of how can we bond together as a real community, not trying to pit one against the other and have rivalries and jealousies come in between, giving us a collective front so that we can address these issues. You know, it, it goes back to ancient times. The city-states, they were fighting in every tent, every way possible, but there was no way to get them to think as one because everybody wanted to be the boss. Everybody knew what they were doing or what the other guy or the other girl wasn't doing right. And, and that we have to change that because we're not being honest with ourselves. And I don't think, frankly, we're going to be as successful as a, a collective community unless we put our, our ego to the side. We've done so much in this country and around the world as individuals. You can name so many examples of wonderful, successful Greeks all over the world. But we're not at that point yet where we're thinking as one. It's each man in their own city-state. It's each woman in her tent. So until we get to that spiritual level where we think as, as a community that can know, we're not going to see those problems. We're going to deny them. And of course, the other issue is tisapune, tisapune ikseni, tisapune yali. This is the, the chodio mentality. Keep it on the hush because you don't want your, your bad news or your dirty underwear because everybody's going to be talking about it because it's a, it's a shameful thing to have someone who's mentally ill in your family. So it's shame. It's the shame. We've got to get over the shame factor. I mean, it happens to a lot of us, but we need to have the courage to come out of our own individual little little stone huts, and say, you know, we're in this together. We are on the air with journalist and educator Irene Arcos here on Dialogos Radio and the Dialogos Interview Series. And Irene, transitioning to another issue, one of the initiatives that you're currently working on is the establishment of a new foundation which will be dedicated to the needs and the causes of Greek women worldwide. Share with us some details about this new foundation. Yes, I have this idea for a not-for-profit called the Eleniva Foundation, and its goals are threefold. It's to educate, to empower, and to celebrate. And it's going to be global. It's not going to be just based in the U.S. It's going to act as a, a vehicle to help women in all parts of the stages of their lives, whether they're young women growing up or professional mothers and working women, and even the, you know, the yayadas in their later part of their lives. And there's many functions for each role, but just to educate, right, I, I'd want to create workshops where we can learn about our ethnicity and our roots and our orthodoxy and to help the younger generation kind of learn where we can keep it group. Then there's the empowerment part where I want to be able to help women in their professional careers and in their roles as mothers and nurturers and helping the family, so the work-family balance, so what is it, the life-work balance, by offering sort of networking opportunities, by also creating mentorship opportunities, by creating a, a clearinghouse for financial information 
so women who want to be entrepreneurs can get information to open up their own businesses or to get ahead in their work lives. I did some research for female entrepreneurship before and after the Euro crisis in Greece, and it was phenomenal. Before the Euro crisis, I think Greece, in terms of how many women had businesses, was like at the bottom of the European totem pole, bottom of the ladder. But then after the crisis, I think Greece is either in the number one or number two position. I think like 30% of all new businesses now are being started by Greek women in Greece. And so I think this is, presents an incredible opportunity for established women entrepreneurs in other nations of Greek descent to lend a helping hand to these women uh, so that we can all go forward. And then finally, the last big pillar of this organization, the Alumniva Foundation, is going to help create celebration to be a Greek woman wherever you find yourself. So I, I'd want to create events where women would come together either online or in person and share stories and bring their oral histories together and celebrate the wonderful thing to be a Greek woman, an Elmiva, because we have so much strength, so much wonderful qualities as Greek women. We are heroes, but we're unspoken heroes. And it's about time we kind of gave each other a party, a real party, a, a sort of like a celebration and, and honor us because uh, who else will one day a year, next week, Mother's Day doesn't do it, to do it sort of in a, in a collective way where we bring all, everyone together. And that's my idea for the Alameda Foundation. And I'm actively searching for sponsors or even people to help on the board so that we can take it one step further. And all that information could be, uh, you can find on my website at GreekAmericanGirl.com. Now, in closing, what message would you like to share to our listeners and in particular to the Greek women who are listening to us from all around the world, especially in light of the commemoration of Mother's Day, which is coming up? That Greek mothers and Greek sisters are just the heart of the home. They're the ones who keep the family together, who keep the traditions together, and they're beautiful and they're strong and sometimes even smarter than their husbands and their brothers. And just to be proud to be an Elmida because you have done so much. Well, Irene, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us here on the Alagos Radio and the Alagos Interview Series. And thank you for sharing your thoughts with us on these very important issues concerning the entire Greek community. Thank you very much, Michael. It's a pleasure.